Prepare your ears, humans. Happy, sad, confused begins now. Today on Happy, Sad, Confused, Ralph Macchio looks back at nearly 40 years of being the Karate Kid. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz and welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Well, this week we've got an actor who is very much a part of my movie-going upbringing. I vividly remember seeing The Karate Kid. I think I was about eight years old. Probably saw it a half dozen times that summer of 84. And since then, I don't even know how many times. So suffice it to say, very surreal and wonderful to get to know Ralph Macchio all these years later for this happy, sad, confused episode. This was a live event at Symphony Space uh, in New York City on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, very close to where I grew up, so that made it all the more fun, too. Um, always love doing uh, events with Symphony Space. We've done some fun stuff over the years, Sam Hewen, etc., and it's a beautiful theater. Guys, check out their programming there. They do great work, and this was a, a really fun night, guys. This is Ralph Macchio talking about his life and career um, from working with Francis Ford Coppola in The Outsiders to Karate Kid to The Legacy of The Karate Kid, which, of course, continues to this day with the phenomenally successful Cobra Kai. Um, it's a crazy story, a crazy journey for Ralph, and it's really cool to see um, what that initial film, directed by the great late John Avildsen of Rocky fame, um, has borne, how it's, how it's given... Um, inspiration and passion to new generations. Um, you know, my nieces and nephews watched Cobra Kai. I'm sure if you're listening and you grew up with Karate Kid, maybe your nieces, nephews, and kids watch Cobra Kai, and it's just fun to see this is a franchise. Yes, sometimes that's a dirty word, but in the case of this, it's a kind of a beautiful thing to see how it's how it's evolved and become something that different generations embrace. So anyway, this was a great chat. Um, Ralph has a fantastic new book called Waxing On uh, that recounts all of these stories and many more. Um, and he is, as advertised, super nice, crazily, seemingly well-adjusted um, family guy who just happens to have portrayed some of the iconic characters of the 80s and even 90s. Let's talk My Cousin Vinny, right? Come on. Um, anyway, that's the main event today. Uh, other things to mention, well, as always, uh, it's busyness around here. We're getting prepped for our next big live event. I encourage you guys, there are tickets available to my event with Sylvester Stallone next week, November 11th at 92NY. That's a big one, guys. Talk about 80s icons. Sly Stallone? I'm kind of nervous, very excited. I'm just starting to do my prep prep now. I mean, what do you even talk about with Sylvester Stallone? Where do you even go? Um, big choices ahead for me to figure that out. That's on me, but I promise a great night. Uh, November 11th at 92NY, tickets are available. If you can't be there in person, virtual tickets are available as well. All the information is in the show notes. If you want to watch the video version of this conversation with Ralph, it's very easy. Just go to YouTube, youtube.com slash Josh Horowitz. Give us a subscribe, um, and you can watch that and the Henry Cavill conversation, the Tom Felton conversation. Virtually every conversation that I do on the podcast is available in video form on YouTube. Um, plus, of course, my last plug for my own shenanigans, uh, Patreon. 
for the diehard Josh Horowitz happy, sad, confused lovers. That's where you get your discount codes to the live events. That's where you get the early announcements on the guests. That's where you get the merch. That's where you have the opportunity to ask guests questions. That's where you get the early access to the podcast and the video version of the podcast and much, much more. Uh, Patreon.com slash happy, sad, confused. That link is in my uh, in the show notes here. It starts at $5 a month. You can go on up if, you, if you're so interested, but um, it's a fun place to be. It's a nice little community we've created. Check it out if you're so inclined. Okay, let's get to the main event because this is a big, uh, long, juicy conversation. The energy was great at Symphony Space. I hope you get a sense of that from this chat. Yes, there are some video clips uh, in here, but I think um, they will translate in audio form. Uh, we have a nice uh, little video message that you'll obviously hear in this from a close friend and co-star of Ralph later on in the show that caught him off guard in the best possible way. He was very touched by that. Look forward to that. And um, yeah, let me take you back uh, about a week, 10 days ago to uh, a great night in New York City, me and Ralph Macchio. Enjoy. Hello, Symphony Space. Hello, Upper West Side. How are you guys doing tonight? Um, I am indeed Josh Horowitz. Thanks so much for coming out tonight, guys. I am a born and bred Upper West Sider. This is my home base, so it, it means a lot to be at Symphony Space with you guys uh, and this, in this beautiful theater. Uh, we have an amazing guest tonight, guys, for this live, happy, sad, confused. Um, there is a lot of history to cover tonight. Um, Wow, from Coppola and the Outsiders to the Karate Kid, from Cobra Kai to beyond. Uh, this guy is the ageless wonder that is Mr. Ralph Macchio, of course, and his new, yes, his new book, I should mention, which is excellent. If you've not picked it up, you need to, is, uh, is Waxing On, The Karate Kid and Me. We're going to uh, divulge all the secrets, nearly 40 years of secrets for the Karate Kid in this book. Uh, I'm, I think it's safe to say that nobody, as big, you know, I remember when the, the movie came out initially, as I'm sure many of you do, um, it was a phenomenon, but who could imagine it would have this, the, the long legs it has? It's bigger than ever in some ways. So this is a, a thrill to get to meet Ralph tonight in this context. Uh, please give a big symphony space welcome to the one and only Mr. Ralph Macchio. tearing up already. It's not me yet. Discuss amongst yourselves. We're going to be fine. We're going to all get through this together, guys. Awesome to be here in my the greatest city in the world. Thank you, guys. Just a couple born and bred New Yorkers talking movies for an hour. This is going to be fun tonight, man. Um, thanks for taking the time out, and congratulations on this book. This is quite an accomplishment. Thank you. Thank you. It's it's uh, 38 years in the making and two years in the writing process, and it's, you give birth and it's out there in the world, and it's, uh, the response has been awesome, and it's great to see everyone sort of rallying behind these, these stories that are such a big part of my life and, and sort of walking in the shoes of a character that 
has become a big part of so many people's lives. So it's really uh, kind of unique in that way. And it's amazing to, to read not only the stories, but your journey with this character and, and the ups and downs of any career. But, but first, I want to talk about the, the fact that you are a New Yorker, and this is, this is home for you. Um, talk to me a little bit about your upbringing. You're a Long Island kid. You're still a Long Island kid. Still in Long Island. <laughs> Capital G. Um, yeah, I, I grew up in, uh, in the Huntington, town of Huntington area. Uh, my parents are still there, God bless, in their 80s. They're married and wonderful, and they created this thing. <laughs> um, and uh, it was uh, mom, dad, my younger brother, Steve, um, kind of working class-ish family, but my dad was a self-made man, you know, found his, started out as... Uh, um, uh, my uncle, uh, his uncle had a laundromat and then my dad had a laundromat and then that was sort of like the, the cash flow in the early business and then the cesspools would overflow from the soapy water and then he bought a pump truck and then he built that into a pump truck business and then some real estate and other things and, and uh, so I worked at the laundromat, that was the first job, that's where the segue was. Um, <laughs> I, I worked at the laundromat uh, giving change, and, and fortunately there was a movie theater at the uh, end of the shopping center, so I would sneak into the movie. No, I'd pay for tickets and go to the movies. Although one time I realized if you climb across from the, the top of the laundromat, like you go up in the attic thing and you could walk across the other stores, I was able to see the screen from the corner, but then I said, this is not really not movie. Intended, no. You know, that's, that, that's my 14-year-old, like, adventurous self, but, <laughs> um, um, so, and movies was where, you know, as a, as a, you know, in between the Saturdays at the laundromat and working in, in Little League baseball and wanting to be Tom Seaver or whatever at that time, uh, any Mets fans in the house? <laughs> All right. Um, any Yankee fans in the house? Yeah. Well, they're both playing golf tomorrow. So. <laughs> <laughs> but um, anyway, so so I would uh, uh, when I was you know coming home from school as a little kid, and I, I write to this in, in the early part of the book. I my mom would have on what was the four thirty movie, right. Channel Eleven. I'd watch you know it would be Casablanca, it would be Singing in the Rain, it would be Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, and that was. You know, so that was uh, the early stages of me becoming infatuated with storytelling. And um, I wanted to be Gene Kelly as a kid. Yeah, I, will, I, I will say, re reading the book, nothing connected me more to you than reading about WPIX and Entenmann's Donuts. Yeah. It just felt like there is, there is I a definitely share <laughs> genetic material with this man <laughs> in some way. Um, so yeah, so a lover of movies, a lover of musicals. Um, but as you just talked about, your family was not early in the business. No. So what did they make of young Ralph's interest in um, the arts? I think my mom, uh, she had such a, uh, I remember hearing about Betty Grable all the time. She loved Betty Grable, right? So we're, you know, for the youngsters out there, you gotta look it up. But uh, <laughs> um, so I think there was a piece of my mom, because she, she could sing and she could sing well. Um, I think there was a piece of her that she never did that, but it was not 
uh, crushing on. It was not like she, she, you know, didn't fulfill her dream or anything like that. So when I asked to take, uh, oh no, my cousins were taking tap dance lessons. Um, um, they felt, you know, for, for the reason of, you know, social getting, you know, uh, getting involved with whether it was Little League or, or dance classes, you know, just social activity. So I went into that and I didn't suck. I wasn't awesome, but I hit my mark, I smiled, and even then I looked a few years younger than I was. <laughs> um, so I probably looked better at it than I was, because like, this kid's five, he's amazing, I was 16. <laughs> no, no, not true, not true, not true. Um, um, it's a anyway, that's a bit of a spread. Exaggeration for effect, folks. But, um, so, um... And you, know, you found early success? I mean, did you find, like, one job immediately led to another? another no, no, at that really? point it was just fun, yeah. you know? And I enjoyed the thrill of the footlights, like I still do, even right now. I was back there waiting for the announcement, and I was getting all excited because this, this feels like home, yeah. being on stage, you know? So, um, and I realized I was never going to be Tom Seaver. <laughs> you know, I did not have a 95-mile-an-hour fastball. So, um... Uh, my, what my parents thought, I mean, I think my dad was a bit like, okay, this is a phase, right. you know, and, but um, um, it wasn't until high school, really, I was in the plays in high school and such, but always like, you know, third guy in the back on the left, never, right. you know, never Sky Masterson or Nathan Detroit, I was like, I actually played Harry the Horse in, oh, sure. in uh, Guys, Guys and Dolls, Dolls yeah. in high school. And Gar Harry Lewis was Sheldon Leonard, like this big <laughs> mass, he was a big TV producer, but he's totally miscast. But, uh, and then I had a tap number in the middle of uh, Luck Be a Lady or something. <laughs> but so it was part of me, but, and, and sports as well. Right. I really enjoyed uh, sports and my sports teams in New York. So, um, you know, it was high school time when um, I, I went in for an audition and got this Bubble Yum commercial, wound up doing two of them. You could see them on YouTube. <laughs> totally embarrassing, but fun. <laughs> Singing dance, it was a Saturday morning, you know, big smiles, over-exaggerated, you know, animated. Sure. Sugar Bubble Yum commercial. I that mean, was the first. There's a lot of sugar in that gum. Yes, yes, yes. Big wads of it. And I had, you know, they sent me a box. I had tons of bubble gum. It's amazing I have teeth right now. <laughs> Um, so, uh, so that's sort of what started, and I would audition here and there before the movies, before I got my first movie. And, and, and the first films, correct me if I'm wrong, it's funny because I just saw this documentary, which is excellent, about Robert Downey Yeah, I'm Senior. dying to see that documentary. Oh. I, just, I just gave them, they wanted to use a clip, and I had to give, uh, sign I, off on that. You're, you're in the documentary. So this is, there's a documentary about the great Robert Downey Sr., who, for those that don't know, was this iconoclastic filmmaker um, who I believe directed your first film. Yeah, he did. He did. He had these underground, New York underground films like Greaser's Palace and Putney Swope in the 60s. Um, you know, did a lot of drugs in his time, was a, you know, um, a maverick, but really, uh, truly a filmmaker. And his first movie for, uh, was a studio movie called um, uh, Up the Academy. It was the first, you know, movie job I got. And I played... It was sort of right after Animal House had hit, so they were looking where Animal House was National Lampoon. This was Warner Brothers, but they were tagging in Mad Magazine for some reason. Right. They figured, well, they work for National Lampoon. Let's do it. You know, it's like decisions based on the no merit whatsoever. But um, the, the uh, character's name was Chooch Bambalazi. 
very realistic. So he's the son yeah. of a mobster, yeah. and and uh, there was they were very stereotypical characters. Each character was a each character today would be this thing would be blasted. This was like Archie <laughs> Bunker on steroids, you know. So and it was uh, we went to Weinberg Military Academy, and it was just the misadventures of you know misguided youth and and uh, so that but. It got me to the next yeah. one. And so, at this point, were you like, were you studying acting, or was it all an instinct? No, was I started. Just... Is, that's a great question because I really kind of started studying acting after I was in it for a little bit. When I realized maybe I should learn how to do this, you know, I was <laughs> I was cast for a look, and right. like I said, I looked younger than my age, so I could play sixteen and be nineteen or twenty. So, um, and I played 16 for, I think, 37 years. Yeah. I got a million of them, folks. <laughs> but, um, so, so what happened was, um, um, the next thing was, uh, there was a talent casting thing for uh, ABC television. Right. And I wound up getting uh, seen in New York, um, and I was uh, uh, put into a show called Eight is Enough. Mm -hmm. And I, a little Oz from the crowd. Um, Eight is Enough was a, a, a TV show that had like canned laughter. It was an hour family dramedy, if yeah. you will. And I was nine was too many. That was my next joke. Um, but but I, got, I did 21 episodes of that show. And it was, it was wonderful to, to learn. And the great Dick Van Patten was sort of like a father figure and helped me to sort of understand the, the daily grind of doing a TV show and sort sure. of understanding my place in the ensemble and um, and so that was that and then the next one was the big break, the big movie break. So, so we have to talk about, yes, Francis Ford Coppola, I mean many actors go, yes, I mean count on one or two hands the great American auteurs and, and Coppola is one of them. Yes. And of course, uh, this great ensemble, uh, The Outsiders. Um, <laughs> So when this comes around, um, he clearly was collecting just the best talent in this age group at the time and bringing in a lot of very talented actors, a lot of them together in the same room as I understand it. What are your recollections of the uniqueness of that process? Because every aspect of the way Coppola directs and, and rehearses sounds very unique. Yeah, he, you know, Francis is, uh, was a very into the theater um, the theater camp element of, of getting a group together and and working with, with actors, especially young actors like, like us. I mean, the audition process, it's you know been documented how unique and difficult it was because every actor was in one room watching the other actor try out, which is really unnerving because you're you're trying not to listen to the other actor read a scene a certain way and you're trying not to look at the director to see if he's responding positively. Because then you're going, then you wind up acting by numbers, painting by numbers, you know? And uh, it was tough not to do that. And tough to say, boy, he really likes him. He's, you know, I'm screwed. And, you know, it gets inside your head. Um, so, but Francis was, his, his theory was to, to mix and match, you know? He's right. give me a Dennis Quaid and a Patrick Swayze and a Mickey Rourke and... 
and Ralph uh, Macchio. Okay, wait, let's go with Helen Slater and, um, you know, and Tom Cruise and Scott Baio. And, you know, he would just put all these pieces together. If you can imagine, those are the names that were all in this room. Yeah. Um, because before they were those names that might have been recognizable. But um, so, the, and I wanted to only play Johnny Cade. I just want, I read that book when I was 12 years old in seventh grade, and I just, I just love that book. I literally, four days ago, maybe five, I don't remember, because I've been on this book tour, which has been amazing and gratifying, but I was sitting with Essie Hinton, basically right there in Tulsa, Oklahoma, doing something like this. Amazing. Years, years later. So and surreal, yeah. I was able, you know, to speak, it was author to author, which was really nice. Uh, and, and, and quite wonderful, but um, so anyway, so then, um, you know, and I got the part of, of Johnny Cade, I, mean, I got, it was like the big, my first big, huge, massive victory, it was the dream come true with the, the one of the greatest filmmakers, um, like you said, of, of our time, American cinema, certainly, um, but to, to spin back a second to your question of when I started studying acting, it was when I first auditioned for The Outsiders before the group audition, I auditioned for Fred Roos, which was Francis's producer, and he cast The Godfather and American Graffiti, if you know anything about these films, some of the greatest casts ever assembled. Um, but I did not get it, I did not get a second call back. I wasn't kind of ready, um, is what the feedback was. And that's when I started taking acting classes in LA at the Beverly Hills Playhouse at the time. And, and I used one of the scenes from The Outsiders as a scene study scene, um, the, you know, the hospital scene. Let's, um, um, if, if you'll indulge me, we have a, we have a clip from The Outsiders because it's worth revisiting. It's okay. a beautiful... There you go. Well, you're going to watch it again now. <laughs> uh, On the this big is, screen. This is awesome. a, a, a great uh, piece of um, filmmaking and, and, and the marriage of, of score and acting. Uh, let's go back and watch a little clip from The Outsiders. One morning I woke up earlier than usual. The church was colder than ever. Golly, that was sure pretty, huh? Yeah. It's like the mist is what's pretty, you know? All gold and silver. Mm-hmm. Too bad it can't stay like that all the time. Nothing gold can stay. Huh? Nature's first green is gold. Her hardest hue to hold. Her early leaves a flower. But only so an hour. Then leaf subsides to leaf. So even saying to grief. So dawn goes down today. Nothing gold can stay. Where'd you learn that? That's what I meant. Robert Frost wrote it. I always remembered it because I never quite knew what he meant by it. Hmm. No, I never noticed colors and clouds and stuff to you kept reminding me about. It's kind of like you were never there before. Yeah. I don't think I could ever tell Steve or Tubit or even Derry about the clouds and sunset. 
Just you and Soda Pop. Maybe Cherry Valance. Guess we're different, huh? Shift, yeah. Maybe they are. Uh... Be right. Like magic hour on steroids. Like yeah. any actor would kill to just be photographed that yeah. beautifully. It's amazing. It, it was interesting because we um, um, initially, I mean, the long shot was was practical, so it was real sunset. Every day we were shooting out at that that church in Windricksville, if you will, and we'd be it would be too cloudy. We'd be like, as soon as it was magic hour, we'd run out to shoot that part of it, and um, so we wound up doing that like for about three or four days whenever you know and finally we got the sunset to look beautiful but we actually shot the scene out there as well when they cut it together you know the magic hour it goes so fast and um and francis had this you know since there's so many gone with the wind metaphors and 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 reading of gone with the wind um which had that rear screen projection style where you have the background as sort of the process. So any of the close-up shots, the medium shots, were in a sound stage with the projection. So we weren't really outside, and they just put the barbed wire, and and it always was odd. I didn't know how it was going to come together. Um, And it's, you know, I mean, when you look at it, it does have a little bit of a theatrical element to it. But, um, you know, so, so did this book that was written by a 16-year-old girl in 1967 or whenever it was, you know. I mean, it, it works. It gives it, a, 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 an, as heightened as it is, yes. a timeless quality. And, I, I mean, I love, you know, that was the time when he was shooting, what was it, um, the, the, the one Rump, from the heart? One from the heart before Completely on a soundstage, Yeah, right? the whole like, thing was on a soundstage. But he was experimenting with, you know, Francis Coppola was way ahead of yeah. all the digital... Uh, stuff he was saying someday um, you shoot the whole movie in one room, you know, um, and that's uh, and he's about to start another film I right know. now, a self-financed big megalopolis. megalopolis. Exactly. So God bless him. Um, you know that was a it was just a, such a special time and it's such a special role uh, for me. I'll never I'll never forget. And I and you guys don't let me forget it because I'll see teenagers <laughs> and kids come out with a book and I'll sign Stay Gold and they scream and I'm <laughs> and they squeal and I'm like I'm I'm probably older than your grandfather, but it's cool. <laughs> it's cool. There's nothing but love in the air for my young greasers. Well, luckily, you wouldn't have another iconic film just around the corner that people would be quoting to you for four decades, would you? No. (laughs) Um, That brings us, of course, to The Karate Kid. Um, So, like I said, the the stories in this book are fascinating, and and, and let's, let's just get right to it. The funny thing is... The story of your um, involvement in this film actually begins pretty close by, across the park, on the Upper East Side. Yes, yes, eighty something Street. I always say. I think, was, <laughs> I, 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 you know, I have to go back there to see if I can remember which building is John's building. Right. John Avelson, the great director of Rocky and The Karate Kid. Um, Just you know, another audition at the time. What was it? Give, us, give me was, some context. No, we got a. I mean, I write to this in the book. I got a call. You know that they were making a movie called The Karate Kid, and I was like, "Is it a cartoon? <laughs> After school special? It's such a cheeseball title." 
Um, it shows you what I knew. Maybe I knew I'd be carrying it for the rest of my life. That's what I probably... Um, but, uh, and it was John Appleson, and I, Rocky was a big, big part of my uh, childhood, and I saw that movie, you know, like eight times in a row in the movie theater. Ran anytime I saw his steps, I'd run up to the top of him and do my Rocky imitation. Um, so I was... Um, and it was to read with the director, and so which was awesome. And I felt like, well, maybe because the outsiders, you know, I was, you know, I had some nice reviews in that. Mm -hmm. I figured maybe I'm meeting with the director. I don't have to go through all the hoop jumping. Yeah, I say I write insert record scratch here because I walk into John's uh, apartment building and I get up to the floor where his apartment is and it's packed with every possible teenage guy <laughs> you could imagine. And I was like, okay, I guess I better. I'm going to be waiting online like the rest of them. Um, and he was reading with. Um, he had a big video camera and he. You could see this on YouTube. He actually posted my first reading of Daniel Larusso and you can. Find it on YouTube as well as Pat Morita's and my first uh, meeting with Elizabeth Shue. These videotapes he posted them, so it's really fun. And I like to I like to brag that my book comes with visual aids. <laughs> we have the visual aid here. Oh, Shall we? we take a look? Oh, sure. God, I didn't even know that. <laughs> he just led me down the road. Uh, this is a remarkable piece of tape to look yeah. at. So this is, just for context, what John did, the late, great John Abelson, is he spliced together. You weren't at, that, at this point. No, in the I room had not met Pat Morita at this point. He, he had uh, read both of us one-on-one, uh, -on -one, as he did, and he, he was cutting the tape together to prove to the studio that these are his two choices, and the studio didn't, wasn't too open to Pat Morita, nor was the producer, Jerry Weintraub, they just felt he was Arnold on Happy Days, and right. he was a stand-up comedian, and he's not Mr. Miyagi. Um, I mean, who else is Mr. Miyagi? Exactly. It's so, there's only one. <laughs> uh, let's take a look. The, the evidence is on the screen. Now, what's happened, uh, what's happened uh, before this is that uh, you've been at a um, Halloween dance with uh, Ali, and everything was going uh, terrific. And... Um, these kids uh, jump in, chase you, and they uh, beat you up. And just before uh, he's explaining the, the, uh, the script the up to this point, up setting me up and, for the scene. Uh, wipes them out, and uh, you weren't quite uh, sure who it was because yeah. you were almost oh, unconscious. Yeah. And now you've uh, come to it, his uh, place, and he's uh, bringing you around. Leave on. Oh, it stinks. Mm, smell bad. Heal good. Where's that other guy? You? No, no. Why no? Oh, because, because... old man. Hmm? Why didn't you tell me? Uh, what? Then you knew karate. I never ask. Well, where'd you learn it from? From father. I thought you, I thought you said he was a fisherman. Uh, in Okinawa, all Miyagi know two things. We know fishing, we know karate. In fact, uh, karate comes from Okinawa. You see, uh, matter of fact, uh, Miyagi ancestor, uh, about the uh, 16th century, bring to Okinawa from China, uh, was called Te. And then uh, some fancy pants uncle uh, called it uh, Karate, empty hand. I, I always thought it like, came from Buddhist temples and stuff like that. That's what I thought. You watch too much television. That's awesome. Man. <laughs>
it's amazing. a long time ago. Amazing, amazing that that exists. I mean, and you, you said it yourself. I mean, like, for context, this is like the wacky neighbor in a sitcom being cast in, like, what became an Oscar-nominated right. role. Like, it, right. this was a huge leap. That is not the voice of Pat Morita. He, that is a full-on performance. Right, right. Um, so, like, I guess first memories of working with him on set. I mean, like, the, are the cliches true? Like, do you feel like, oh, there's a connection there? Oh, there's something special? Or was this another job at that point? No. It, um, what I can say, and I do, I do write to this as well, is when I first met Pat, um, there was, you know, I, I was standing outside the, you know, the, the door to, to head in, and I had my script under my arm, and I knew the scene we were going to read, so I felt pretty good about it, but I just kept thinking that, you know, I, it was Tuesday nights on ABC, and I was going to walk in there, and he was going to go, Fonzie, bah, ha, 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 I thought that it was going to be, you know, like I was, I was actually typecasting him, which the irony, and I write to this, is that I was, you know, on the on-deck circle of having to deal with some typecasting of my own in, in, uh, in years to come, not not too many years to come be, uh, after that. But, um, and when I walked in there, and Arnold from Happy Days was nowhere to be found. Um, his articulation, his diction was, was letter perfect. Um, he was very serious about talking about Japanese uh, heritage and culture and, and the, the meanings behind the words and his own family. And then we started reading the scene, and it was just as easy as anything I'd ever done. Yeah. And I, I didn't know it at that point. What I just knew it was easy. I didn't know that it necessarily, necessarily was great chemistry or all that other stuff. Um, I was probably too young to, to understand that or to. Uh, I mean, I don't. All I remember is how effortless and simple and easy. I didn't have to work. It just it was like the give and take, like a like a perfect tango. And it was you know beautifully written script. So that needs to be said. If you don't. It's not on the page, ain't on the stage, as they say. Um, but it was elevated by what was clearly the, the two actors that were meant to be together in, in these roles. And uh, it was right after that that we did a quick screen test for the studio, and it was, that was it. And that's all everyone talked about was how, oh, you guys are amazing together. And I was like, okay, cool, you know. <laughs> I'm reading my part, he's reading his part. But there was such a genuine... Um, affinity for each other yeah. and that is you know that you feel in the performance that you see in those scenes that you know I write about um, the line you're the best friend I ever had being my favorite line in the original Karate Kid movie it's probably not the coolest line or the best piece of dialogue but it was just the perfectly placed in the script and delivered, I'll give myself credit for that. And then his response, even more so, when he says, you pretty okay too. And that's, that's kind of Ralph and Pat and Daniel and Miyagi, the blurred lines of, of that, uh, what still resonates to, to this day. It's funny, yeah, I mean, someone, someone said in an interview recently, like, films are, are, are either A's or, or B's. Like, they either, clearly, they just work or they don't work. And Karate Kid, just, it's one of those films 
that just works on every conceivable level. It's emotional, it's, it, it, it's funny, it's, it, it just draws you in, and it's a marriage of everything. It's the acting, it's the score, and it's, it's just impossible not to embrace it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it, start, it does start with this script, but it's yeah. all the components, and especially that film, and, and to this day it resonates. Uh, and, and because... Yeah, because it works on a human level yeah. as well. The themes in The Karate Kid are the themes, as much as the tone is different in Cobra Kai, and mm-hmm. I'm sure we're going to get there, mm-hmm. um, as much as the tone is different, the themes are the same, and it's grounded for, uh, in what made The Karate Kid uh, something that stood the test of time. And then the pop culture of it all became yeah. something else, to get him a body bag and sweeping the legs right, and right. catching flies with chopsticks and... You, you, it's insane. You, you do embrace uh, a lot of like the, so, the so-called controversies over the years. For instance, let's get a show of hands. Was the crane kick legal? Do you think it was legal or not? Yes, legal? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, illegal? It's kind of a split decision. Okay. okay. I like it. Listen, I always say this. Um, if you're still debating about a movie that was made 84 years, uh, in ni- 1984, 38 years ago, um, I don't look that good. Um, if, if, if they're still talking about it, yeah, yeah. That, that's pretty amazing. And, uh, you know, um, it's fun. Yes, that's in my chapter called Theories and Debates right. and the Birth of Cobra Kai, you know. <laughs> Um, before we get to Cobra Kai, I, I don't know if you realize this was going to be a This Is Your Life uh, it's feeling like experience, it. but I do want to show you one clip, and the funny thing is, okay, so I, I selected this clip before I finished the book, and then I'm reading the book, and then I find out that this is a scene that you actually don't love your performance in, so I apologize in advance. No, no, it's not, it's not I know what you're talking about, we, we can talk about it after, but okay. um, yeah, I'll, I'll hold well, let's think. This is a key sequence towards the end of the film, just when it gets really... Uh, exciting and, and uh, emotional at the very end. Let's take a look at the Karate Kid. Oh, Mr. Miyagi? Mm. You think I had a chance of winning? To win, lose, no matter. No, it's not what I mean. I had good chance. Well, can you fix my leg? I mean, with that thing you do? No need fight anymore. You prove a point. But what point? That I can take a beating? I mean, every time I see those guys, they're going to know they got the best of me. I'll never have balance that way. Not with them, not with Allie. Not with me. <laughs> Close your eyes.
Well, it's kind of it's interesting that you chose that clip and then you read read that story. Yeah. It's there's a piece I did. There's a chapter called Do Overs, um, which um, it, it was really important to have it. And what I I, I, I chose three things uh, connected to the Karate Kid universe that I would have liked a second chance at. Um, and there's very few scenes in this movie that I would want a second chance at. And watching that scene, it absolutely works. It's just a moment uh, before Miyagi uh, brings his hands together when Avelson was trying to get me, when in rehearsals we had it, I had the, the, the tears going and the whole, you know, I was really consumed with the emotion of like I let everyone down. Um, you know, like a few weeks before then. And when we went back to shoot it that day, for whatever the reason, I, the emotion was not coming up, you know, that way. So I was manufacturing more of the frustration than actually a kid that actually l loses control. And he's really, he's, he's crying because he he's, he's feels alone and right. he's let everyone down. So it was a, it was a, piece of a performance that I wanted to infuse into that that never sort of got there organically. The worst thing to do is pretend to cry and then it's bad acting. So at least I did that right. But I always, and, I, and John was also, he was, he, I think he wanted it to get there. And I always wondered, the camera shot stayed on Pat, across me on Pat the whole time. And maybe if I had some of that other beats he would have cut the other way. These are pet peeves. These are not, <laughs> this has not changed the success of the movie. But it's just... The reason why I wrote to that specifically is because in Cobra Kai, there was a scene with Robbie, played by Tanner Buchanan, um, where I was the sort of Miyagi to him, right. where he was in a broken point. And so I got to play that side of it over again. It was almost, without being a second chance, it was another way to play the scene. And I really felt good about how that scene worked out. So it was just an exploration of picking one scene out. but. Yeah. Uh, um, but then he goes, Daniel is going to fight. We're all in. We forget. Oh, yeah. it's, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. I feel like we're all like, let's just keep watching, guys. I mean, this is great. <laughs> I know. They cut right before the climax. <laughs> so this, okay, this sets off, and we don't obviously have time to go through every beat of, of the career, but like, there is an, this an interesting next five or six year period coming off of Karate Kid that are extreme highs and then some frustrations that come after mm -hmm. it, uh, clearly. Um, because around, what, Karate Kid 2, which is a huge hit, I mean, I remember how, I mean, that Peter Cetera song, yep. I Will Never Get Out of My Brain, uh, <laughs> that was everywhere. And, um, and, and then you're, you're on Broadway, you're on Broadway yes. with Robert De Niro. Yes. So it must have felt like, put me in your, your, in your shoes back then, did it feel like you were riding high that... Yeah, I mean, that was, that was crazy busy time. Um, that was... Um, you know, I had a film called Crossroads. Uh, if you're a musician, people really like Crossroads. It's got some great music and the great Steve Vai. Walter Hill directed that film. He directed films like 48 Hours. And so I was very excited to, to make that movie. It came out in the spring of 86. And then The Karate Kid Part Two came out in the summer of 86. I was on Broadway at the Longacre Theater with Robert De Niro and Burt Young. And it was that was my... Beatles leaving Shea Stadium summer. Like every time I came out, I had a security bring me into it. was like just crazy time. Meanwhile, when I got uh, left the theater, I would go to Shea Stadium to watch the 86 Mets. So it was like <laughs> everything was happening at that point, you know? Yeah. Um, and it, it's, it's an interesting time because it was moving really fast. Um, I, I, 
I, there's a, a great story in here. I don't want to go into too much detail because I want you guys really to read it. When I was, um, um, it's a great Warren Beatty story. He comes yes. in to see Cuban as Teddy Bear, which is the, the play I did with De Niro, and everyone came to see that play. I was on Broadway with De Niro, so it was amazing. If I could turn back time, and I, to take, to take things in stride at that age, when everything, it's tough to do. As you get older, you're like, ah, I should have smelled the roses a little right. bit more. Um, um, but there was a time I was uh, frustrated at the end of that run when they were setting up Karate Kid Part 3, and I really didn't want to make the movie. I didn't even know what the script was, but there were other movies that were there and with some great directors that I might have had a chance at Sydney that I Lamette couldn't film that, uh, right, uh, yeah. Sidney Lumet yeah. is the one uh, filmmaker that I was talking to um, so yeah, I was starting to get frustrated with all this with the connection to Karate Kid and the sort of the typecasting that was happening and the fact that I couldn't offset it with I mean doing the Broadway play was awesome but that wasn't a it was it was only reaching a certain amount of people so there's a, there's a great uh, uh, story where Warren Beatty was um, I didn't think he had any plans of mentoring me or, or offering advice but he basically did about how you know I shouldn't downplay the commercial successes because they give you the opportunity for some of the artistic uh, uh, risks that you want to take and it was just a poignant moment and it's a it's really a nice story in in the uh, in the, in the book so so coming off of Karate Kid 3 which as you said was a, a bit of a disappointing ex creative experience for you mm -hmm. did you feel like there was any chance in hell you were ever gonna play this character again? no way no, but coming off of, if you if you told me that in 2022, <laughs> I would be squaring off with Terry Silver. <laughs> <laughs> what drugs and the, are the in your beauty system. of yeah, that exactly, is, yeah. and I write to this as well. You know, even the short. The, what's so amazing about the Karate Kid franchise and the Karate Kid universe is that it's been blessed more than once. Um, where even the shortcomings, in my view, have now bear fruit and health insurance, thank you, because I'm working, um, going forward. So it's kind of like, be careful what you think you know. Yeah. And that's just a little message for, you know, through my, me walking in these shoes, what, you know, youth is wasted on the young. You don't see that, you know, but it's yeah. maybe a young reader may you know, uh, look at that, you know, and I, I still, and I, I'm getting a lot of these questions. So now that Cobra Kai season four and five was so pulled off of a lot of what was in Karate Kid Part 3, do you like the movie now? And I'm like, no, it's still not a good movie, in my view. Gr wonderful actors, right. great people, right. but it just, it, my biggest problem with Karate Kid 3 is that it never forwarded the Daniel LaRusso character, and it abandoned the the two love stories from Karate Kid Part Two, meaning Miyagi's love story and and uh, Daniel and Kumiko's story, which was just sort of like that didn't happen. <laughs> now we're going back to the valley, and there's more Cobra Kai, you know. But uh, who knew, man? It's just pretty uh, eye opening, and and one of the many reasons I dove into writing the book because I have this uniqueness of this movie that is such a big part of so many people's lives that is now r relevant today. It's never gone away, but more relevant with the explosion 
of Cobra Kai that I have 12 and 13 year old kids who run up to me and they know who Mr. Miyagi is. And, and that's kind of wonderful that that legacy carries on and they somehow back themselves into the original film from the series and vice versa. So in the many years between three and Cobra Kai, um, I know like your relationship with Karate Kid must have been a complex one and had its ups and downs and wrestled with how you felt about it. And it's funny because, like, again, as I'm reading the book, I'm like, oh, my God, he must have been offered every crazy idea for a reboot or sequel. I'm like, in my head, I'm like, I bet they had a, a Rocky Karate Kid um, <laughs> combo thing. And then I'm read, reading the book, and someone pitched you a Rocky Karate Kid thing. It's crazy. It's great. There was, there was so many. There's a, I, I tap into some of the the funniest or silliest or ridiculous reboot concepts over in the nine, late 90s. I mean, after My Cousin Vinny, right. um, which was uh, I affectionately call the late for dinner movie because when it's on, you're just going to be late for dinner because <laughs> you just can't leave in the middle of it. Um, you know, I got more than lucky a handful of times when you think of that. Karate Kid and Outsiders and Vinny, it's it's really quite remarkable. It wasn't a large chunk of time, but... Um, so did that uh, idea that was presented to you hold any interest? Is that the worst idea ever or that the best was, idea that's ever? Just my, that's just the funniest idea because I was with John Avelson, the director, and this was probably, um, um, I would say, is the, the Hillary Swank Karate Kid, the next Karate Kid had come and gone at that point. Yeah. But we were having a, a lunch meeting of, of a potential idea for a project, and um, and it was pitched by a, a writer, you know. I mean, it, it, I, you know, he just had this vision like, there's the guy who directed Rocky and the Karate Kid. I have him here, and there's the Karate Kid guy. If I could just get Stallone. Stallone has a messed up kid. The Karate Kid has a messed up kid. You get Mickey and Miyagi together somewhere between Philly and Newark. <laughs> and this thing is going to be the biggest movie ever. Now, what's so funny is we were, John sort of laughed it off. He said, uh, you know, you don't cross. It's so funny. Now you got Superman sleeping with Batman and <laughs> Wonder Woman is best friends with the Hulk. And it's unbelievable. You know, the, the multiverses is three Spider-Mans at once. <laughs> so it's, it kind of was ahead of its time. And who knows? Uh, someone may pull this and... <laughs> Uh, they'll get both of us in, you know, walkers and wheelchairs um, <laughs> in five years. making. But it, it was just a, it was everything that was right and wrong about Hollywood right. in that moment. You know, it was like, how can we squid a, fit a square peg in a round right. hole? Um, but, um, and then there were other ones about, you know, you have a kid with a drug problem and Miyagi's a ghost and, you know, <laughs> every, but I think, and I affectionately write about this in, in the book that it was less about people saying, hey, I have the greatest idea and more about them saying, I love this character. I loved you in this character. I loved Pat in his role and Lisa, Elizabeth Shue and all yeah. the, I want it. I want more. Yes. I want more. It was, and, uh, and fortunately, you know, Decades later, John, Josh, and Hayden, the creators of Cobra Kai, the, big, the three biggest Karate Kid fans you will ever meet, figured out a way to give us more and it feel fresh 
and contemporary and relevant and still nostalgic at the same time. It, it's a miracle of a series because it's like, uh, you know, these guys, uh, you know, John, Josh, and Hayden, like their resume didn't necessarily scream like, oh, they're going to be the right guys to do this necessarily. No. <laughs> they, wrote, they wrote and created Hot Tub Time Machine and, and Harold and Kumar. And they were saying the guys who created, and they're, they're, great, they're fantastic writers uh, across the board. Um, uh, you know, they are the reason Cobra Kai is what it is. They, are, they drive the ship. Um, they see it more clearly than anyone, certainly more than me and Billy Zapka, because we're so protective. You know, and but they um, like. Did you, know, you get it immediately? The pitch, like, because you were, as as I understand it, kind of the last one in. Yeah, pretty close. Yeah, I was. I always was. It, I kept the Karate Kid film on such a pedestal yeah. that it was like it's not high art, but it's a film I've gotten so much from you guys over the decades on how much this has meant that to sort of soil that or, or toy toy with it in a in a, in a way that would. Uh, you know, take the shine off the apple. It felt like I'd rather leave, leave the painting alone instead of trying to add more colors to it. Um, but, but imagine me getting a call saying, the guys who created Harold and Kumar and Hot Tub Time Machine want to pitch you the continuing story of the, of the Karate Kid. Um, I was like, okay, rated R stoner comedies <laughs> and, uh, you know, coming of age stories. Well, not to mention, like, you, you know, it's a pretty magnanimous gesture for you who's been so protective of this character to kind of embrace what had become now like this, like, fun meme and th fan theory over the years right. that Daniel LaRusso was maybe kind of a dick, kind of yeah, an yeah. asshole. <laughs> yeah. No, they definitely heightened that, uh, the, the, his sort of you know, cocky kind of bravado that I brought into the room when I auditioned. I mean, even when you saw that tape and I'm just kind of sitting there like this, <laughs> I had a little bit of like, you know, my, my crap don't stink. I'm pretty awesome. <laughs> and it's kind of funny. That was just, that was me trying to be cool. You know, I have nothing to back it up. Um, but that element of LaRusso is peppered in the character. But what also is at the foundation of LaRusso is his sweet, genuine goodness he, yes. he he even today in the cobra kai series his intentions are always good right. he just sometimes is knee jerk and he lets his temper flare and obviously that makes for be better entertainment so yeah it was it was sort of a a leap for me to when they said he's going to be a car salesman i was like really he became a car salesman <laughs> well mr miyagi had cars that was their pitch i said all right i get that okay sure. All right, but I don't know if he would, like, live off his one kick and rub it in the face of everybody. They said, well, yeah, but we're going to, it's, that's just going to be the beginning. So they, they really had to, you know, um, uh, win me over with that stuff. My main thing was that the Miyagi, the spirit of Miyagi would have to be woven throughout the Cobra Kai series. Otherwise, I wouldn't be interested. I really needed to have his character part of the show, be it for the next generation younger cast and, and the sort of Miyagi-Do element, that mystical, you know, it's not even mystical, that palpable uh, mentor to him. And so then it made sense that LaRusso, without Miyagi, would have his midlife crisis where he would lose his balance and, and, not, and not see things clearly. And obviously you need conflict, otherwise you don't have a story going forward. Um, so... And these guys, they just, they cared so much, and I believed 
they wanted to make what the fans would love to see. Yeah. And the film Creed had just come out. Um, and so that was an example of how to enter the Rocky Balboa universe and not have to make Rocky Seven, right. right? So it was through the eyes of, of Apollo Creed's son. So through the eyes of Johnny Lawrence, whatever happened to this bully and whatever happened to his life, and that they obviously wanted to juxtapose that with the happily ever after that LaRusso had everything and he, he has money and he's now in Encino and then the other guys in, in Reseda down and out. And, and so I got it and I understood it. I just didn't know how it was going to truthfully work. And I would say, What's, where's the... Where's the funny in it? Where's the heart in it? Where's the... And they say, we just, you know, they just, I, they just convinced me with their caring so much for every nook and cranny of that original film and those movies that these were the guys to take the leap with. And now I look, you know, incredibly intelligent <laughs> when I'm pretty damn lucky once again. But, you know, I mean, I did make the decision. I did. Yeah. And they delivered something that was above and beyond... Um, everything and the low expectations too of the YouTube of it all and they're going to do right. a karate kid thing with Johnny Lawrence and Daniel LaRusso people are like yeah okay this is going to be like good pain at the dentist <laughs> this thing is going to be just like a disaster but I, I won't be able to look away and well, all those low expectations helped us because when it, w when it had all and everything and still embraced and respected the source material which was the original film yeah um then it was 100% uh, on Rotten Tomatoes and everybody was on board. Uh, a couple billion minutes of watch <laughs> time later. Minutes, yeah. <laughs> um, and one of the relationships that this rests on, just as it was you and Pat way back when, is you and Billy. Um, let's take a look. I'm sure this audience has seen um, Cobra Kai, but this is one of the very first scenes in the first season that sets up, I think it's the reintroduction of you guys getting together at the uh, a car dealership. Let's take a look. Yeah. Johnny Lawrence, I, I, I knew it was you. Holy, how the hell are you? Hey, man. <laughs> oh, my God, look at you. You still got those golden locks, eh? God, this is crazy. How, how you been? Great, man, thanks. I've been great. That's great. It's, hey, hey, Anoush, come here. Louie, get over here. I want no, you to meet somebody. I gotta go. No, 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 no. This is Johnny Lawrence. He and I go way back, right, buddy? This guy was the toughest dude in my high school. When I first moved here from Jersey, he and I, we got into it a little bit. This guy really had it in for me. Yeah, well, you did move in on my girl. Well, she actually wasn't really a girl anymore, was she? I mean, ah, all right, that's all water under the bridge. Wait, is this the karate guy? The guy from the tournament? Oh, this is the guy whose ass she kicked. Uh, listen, it was a really close match, but if you want to get technical, I kicked his face. <laughs> I'm just busting your chops. It was an illegal kick. Oh, illegal? Really? Come on, what about that elbow to my knee? Yeah, I got a warning. You got the win. Whoa, whoa. Uh, so, uh, Zapka is just so good in this show, man. It's, it's we have such uh, chemistry together, and it just really... Um, it just really is such a joy, and I think it elevates and, and every season when we have scenes together. It just it just um, goes to another level. That one was, you know, I mean, I had to say the line, I kicked his face. And initially, I read it <laughs> in the script. I'm like, guys, come on. You're setting, I mean, you are setting it up. I get it, okay? We want to say 
Johnny Lawrence, tough life. What would be the worst thing that someone could say to him? <laughs> so I went back and forth, and I did, because it was a, there's always a push-pull, and I write about this uh, as well, with, um, with uh, me and, and the writers with that stuff, certainly earlier in the seasons, less so now, right. um, because I, I would always say, you know, I, I want to make sure you're thinking of the LaRusso of it all, that, you know, how far we're going to bend that to him actually being a guy that would say either something like that. So it was about me finding it, that it was like playful with his friends. It's almost like you, sometimes you, you're with someone, you say something and you regret saying it, but then at that point you might as well just go with it. So that's sort of how I, it was like one of those things that maybe that night LaRusso would be laying in bed and probably say, well, I probably shouldn't have said that. That was probably a dick, <laughs> a dick thing to say. But in the moment, he has his buddies there, and so we're always working and collaborating through those uh, those moments, and they're important because I think then they're, the scenes work organically, and then we we care, you know. It, it, it must be so cool that you and Billy get to go on this journey together, decades uh, decades now. I, I reached out to Billy Zabka to see if he had something to say to you. He sent a video in. Oh God. Okay, let's see if he's going to regret what he said. <laughs> uh, let's take a look. For the first time as the anticipation of the crane kick loomed around the corner. <laughs> the swell of excitement was palpable. Conti's music built. Adelson's edits elevated. LaRusso <laughs> assumes the position. Alright, that's enough for now. Hey, you doing there, Ralphie? What's up, everybody? Hey, Josh. Honored to be with you here on the stage. I just finished this unbelievable book, this retelling of an uh, amazing uh, legacy in life and film. And I, I was a part of a lot of this, but I learned so much from it um, as well. Ralph, well done. I'm so excited that you're out promoting this. I was there while you were hiding away writing this uh, over the last uh, year or two. And um, it's fantastic, buddy. So um, just uh, can't wait to read it again. I, uh, I have a couple questions for you while we're here. Question number one would be, um, who between us would you say uh, during the films we were doing in the 80s uh, had better hair? That's the first question. <laughs> Secondly, to follow that up, currently we've done a couple duets on Cobra Kai singing Eye of the Tiger and an REO Speedwagon song. And I'm just curious to your ear, uh, which one of us uh, ha carries a better tune? So uh, there's the questions. Uh, I'll let you have at it. Take it from here. It's nice to drop in. I'm going to get back to my listening, reading. I can feel the damn about Listening, reading. Thunderous roar from the baronet crowd as they leapt to their feet, cheering and hugging and high-fiving as if at a major league sporting event. All right, that's enough. assessment. Great job. Awesome, awesome. I'll hit him up later for that. that was... <laughs> All right, so what were his questions? It was uh, funny. <laughs> hair and singing. Uh, yeah. Um, 80s hair, who had the better hair? Wow, you know, we, we had such different hair. Uh, I had an abundance of hair there that I miss. I miss, I miss the fullness. Um, uh, you know what? I had the best brown hair, and he had the best blonde hair. That's what I would say. <laughs> Very diplomatic. How's that for a politician? And singing, um, I would give myself, uh, I would give him the eye of the tiger, and I would, I will take, uh, uh, you know, take it on the run. Oh. I would take the Ario Speedwagon. <laughs> I got the higher register. 
Um, but he, he kicked ass in the eye of the tiger, and uh, we had fun with uh, Yuji Okamoto, who was chosen, who was freaking awesome as well. That's crazy. Um, That's great. That was a great surprise. That was awesome. He's a good one, uh, your friend. Uh, let's see if this audience has some amazing questions for Mr. Ralph Macchio. There should be a couple mic stands on either aisle. If you guys want to scurry on up and ask a few questions before we run out of time, we'll... Uh, Pick Ralph Sprain. <laughs> murmur of the crowd, murmur of the crowd. All right. Go ahead. Yes. I've had this question from before. You might have answered some of it, but what was your favorite Karate Kid to shoot, and what was your least favorite? Uh, what, the question, what, what was my favorite Karate Kid movie to shoot, and what was my yeah, least favorite? Yeah, which one did you enjoy the most, and which was your um, the The first one, the original, by far the most, because that's where all the... The magic happened, and, and that, that story, and you know, I mean, just uh, the 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 uh, the birth of the chores, paying off his karate moves, the the magic of of the the crane kick, um, all that, the cinema, uh, just just that experience. Um, part two was fun because we were in Hawaii for <laughs> three months. <laughs> But um, I was busier at that time, you know, um, and so I was a little homesick. Um, and, and part three was not nearly as pleasant as those two. <laughs> Distant third. Distant uh, third. Let's go to my left. Uh, yes, what's your question? Yeah, go ahead. Hi, can you talk a little bit more about my cousin Vinny and specifically when you're going for the puppy slush and you say, can you fill this up? Wait, say that, say that again. I'm going to talk about my cousin Vinny, but what was the end of the question? When you go for the slush puppy and you say, can you fill this up? Can you fill this up? <laughs> yes. I love that. It's my that's, favorite. That's, that's, total, that's total macho. That is just, that's so me <laughs> to say, like, even if I'm at a movie theater now, uh, as we're slowly but surely starting to get back, and I get a popcorn handed and it's not topped off, I'm like, seriously? Hmm? Can you fill this up? I mean, this is air. You're charging... $15 for this and it cost you 20 cents. <laughs> Fill it up. That's a, so it's a little, bit of, a little bit of macho sprinkled in Billy Gambini. I love my cousin Vinny. It's, uh, it's one I'm, I'm super proud to be a part of, that's for sure. And I did not shoot the clerk, okay? <laughs> but I am one of the two youths. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Hi, Ralph. Um, I have two things for you. First one's a question. Going back to earlier in the show, you were saying how with Karate Kid 3, you didn't really enjoy how Daniel's story didn't move forward. And going into Cobra Kai with characters returning like Marty Cove and Thomas Ian, how did it feel to see this character progress along with juxtaposing against those characters? Um, how did it feel play, playing against um, his, uh, you know, Terry Silver, uh, yeah. Thomas Ian Griffith? Yeah. It's been incredible. I mean, his, his take on you know, adding layers to that character, the writing that they, the guys, that John, Josh, and Hayden, and they do this with every character in the show, and every, um, every original, from, look at what they did with uh, Yuji Okamoto in Chosen, they, the ultimate nemesis in part two is now his Miyagi-Do uh, friend, and, uh, but working with Thomas, he's so, um, he has such attention to detail, he's, he loves leaning into the heightenedness of it, but he does not play the cartoon of it where he felt the cartoon of it was a uh, part of what Karate Kid 3 was. 
and he's very conscious of that. Uh, he's a black belt, he's a true martial artist, and he's six foot five and very difficult <laughs> to fight. But uh, um, he's just a, a sweetheart of a guy. Um, I'm so happy for, for him and, and all, all the folks that get to come back and, and you right. know, taste this, the, the wine again. Let's go over, uh, we try to get through as many of these as possible. Go over here, yep. Hello. Hi. Two questions. Uh, what's your okay, one question. Oh, one question. Uh, okay, okay. So uh, the one question that I really want to know is, you know, Cobra Kai has been having a lot of, like, twists and things coming up. What do you want to see next on Cobra Kai that hasn't been done yet that you'd like to work on or see? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, we, uh, uh, truthfully, we have not been picked up for season six yet, which we think should happen very soon, but... Uh, keep watching, you know, keep those numbers going. Uh, but I think, you know, they teed up the international element that could, could happen, so it might be interesting to maybe get out of the valley. <laughs> For, I mean, I did get, in season three, I got to go to Okinawa, which was spectacular. Um, so... Um, I think expanding on that, I think for uh, LaRusso, season five was a really good season to see him slip and fall and lose a grip on everything in his life, only to have everyone have his back and him be that protagonist again, just like he was in the Karate Kid franchise. Um, you know, his kids are getting older, the life is getting more challenging, um, all, all areas of that. And I, I enjoy, I just love working with these people, so... Um, I gave nothing there with that answer, except uh, <laughs> let's keep making it, and uh, thanks to you guys, we get to do it. I think we need to go to the next question. I just want to get more, as many people as possible. Can I just hand this off to Ralph, because I saw him at Comic-Con. He wants to, he, he wanted well, to why don't you, can you drop it with maybe one of the ushers, and we'll, we'll do sure our best thing. to get to it, Ralph? Right. Thank you very much. Hi. Did the guest appearance on How I Met Your Mother have anything to do with the start of Cobra Kai? It's a great question. The, the, uh, the How I Met Your Mother was a blast, and uh, credit the writers in the writer's room, and I do a whole thing, I write a whole thing about how that came about for me and, and everything else. Uh, the, John, Josh, and Hayden always say, no, it wasn't, it wasn't the, uh, the How I Met Your Mother at all that made them have the idea. They had the idea years back, they just didn't know how to do it. It was at a point that there weren't streaming services, and there wasn't the Netflix's or Amazons of the world where you could tell a five hour story in 10 half hour parts. So, um, but it's, it's in the zeitgeist and these, and these writers were, you know, thinking of it. I love the whole Barney Stinson of it all. <laughs> that, the, you know, that LaRusso is some skinny Jersey brat who deserved nothing and Johnny Lawrence is the true karate kid. <laughs> when I first saw that, I was like, what, what? <laughs> it's, uh, it's fun. All right, let's go, go ahead, here, uh, Greaser. <laughs> Hello. Um, good shirt. I was just, thank you. I was just wondering, because I heard um, that you had uh, very good chemistry with a lot of your castmates on The Outsiders, and I was just wondering if you have like any memories that you would like to share with us. Oh, The Outsiders was uh, uh, super special to me. I mean, um, you know, I got close uh, with Matt Dillon for a while. He's my New York buddy. I'm such a fan of his, and I remember running lines with him for the uh, barbecue, uh, the Dairy Queen scene um, that we had to shoot uh, two days on that. We, we had to pick it up a second day, and I just remember being in his hotel room, and I was just running lines, and he was like, you're the most professional actor I ever worked with. And I'm like, 
No, I just want to learn the lines. Aren't we supposed to learn the lines? I didn't think I was so professional because he was so great at improv improvising um, and his raw talent. And then C. Thomas Howell, we spent a lot of time uh, together getting on each other's nerves as two guys working every single day. And now he's, um, you know, he's such a good friend of mine and it's awesome. I just did Rob Lowe's podcast, if you haven't heard it, that's up right now, it's talking about the Waxing On book. Um, the kindred spirit uh, with all those guys and Diane Lane. Let's not forget the spectacular Diane Lane. Thank you right. so much. Thank you. I think we have time for one more. This is going to be our last question, guys. Yep. Um, hi, Ralph. My name is Monica. Definitely wanted you to know my name, even if you forget it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Monica. <laughs> oh, my God. You did not just say that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I know there's probably a lot of people in the world who felt like a Daniel Russo, um, but I was wondering, were there any moments on set that you've... Um, done a scene with maybe um, Sholo Maridueña, uh, Mary Mouser, or Tanner Buchanan where you've seen pieces of yourself or pieces of Daniel in them and felt sort of proud? Uh, great question. And, and I write to that as well. Yes, yes, and yes. The beauty of doing Cobra Kai and something I was not expecting was that emotional connection with these young actors that each have moments that are so beautifully mirrored by the writing staff of things that uh, happened to Daniel LaRusso in the original Karate Kid franchise. Um, Sholo, I mean, Miguel is essentially um, the, the millennial Daniel LaRusso. And Samantha, as my daughter, played by Mary Mauser, gets to mirror, it is, it is that they walk in the same shoes and there are really strong moments that I get to... Um, explain, say, in uh, season three, I think, when he talks about fear getting in the way mm -hmm. and that he's been there and, and sort of I've walked in your shoes and sharing those moments or with Robbie, uh, Tana Buchanan with the, doing the chores in the backyard and this <laughs> waxing the car and saying, I mean, this, those were emotional moments for me because those, those are the pieces of magic that created the Karate Kid uh, universe, if you will. And here I am now, not 21 years old anymore, and watching them stand in my shoes and me in the shoes of, of uh, Miyagi or, or uh, the, uh, not his younger characters. Okay, the old guy, all right? <laughs> say it, say it out loud. It's, it's really wonderful and some of my favorite things, uh, uh, components in, in doing the show. And these kids are so talented, they're awesome, their martial arts is awesome, and they're, they're emotional. Jolo had a great season with season five, I thought, and Mary as well. Awesome question, thanks. Thank you Thanks for so your question. Much. Well, we are, we are sadly just about out of time. I do want to say, um, I mean, you carry the mantle of this like, amazing franchise so well, and it's just so, it's so beautiful to see just all the connections from the beginning to where we are now, and it's going to continue clearly in some fashion, hopefully more Cobra Kai, and who knows beyond that. Mm -hmm. um, I want to thank this amazing crowd. I want to thank Symphony Space, guys. Make sure to check out. They, got, they do amazing programming day after day. Check out what they've got here. And I want to encourage all of you to check out this great book. This is honestly, we, we touched on like 3% of this book. Waxing On is the book from Mr. Ralph Macchio. Uh, let's give it up one more time for Mr. Ralph. Thank you, guys. You guys are amazing. Thank you, man. Thank you. And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. 
I'm Daisy Ridley and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. <laughs>